Welcome to Day Beautiful. I'm Adam Vicavage, and this is a monthly podcast where I go in depth with one author releasing their debut book. If you like what you hear, check out more interviews and book recommendations at daybeautiful.net. Today's guest has had her writing featured in Granta, McSweeney's, Catapult, Electric Literature, Joyland, The Cincinnati Review, No Tokens, and many more publications. She's also the recipient of the 2018 Rona Jaffe Writers Foundation Award. Her first novel, Godshot, is out now. Her name is Chelsea Beaker. Now, this podcast was recorded in the midst of COVID-19 and social distancing. We talk a lot about that. We talk a lot about family, motherhood, and so much more. We take a deep dive into Godshot, which is one of my favorite books of the year and probably my favorite book cover. Please check out that glittery gold. It is beautiful and breathtaking. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Chelsea Beaker. Hey, Chelsea, thanks for taking the time to talk to me on the podcast today. How are you doing? I'm good. Hi, how are you? I'm so excited to talk to you. And I just love what you're doing with Day Beautiful. So it feels really special to be on the show. Thank you very much. I love Godshot. And I cannot wait for it to come out and for everyone to read it. Um, Could you tell us a little bit about what Godshot is about? Sure. I feel like my publicist is probably the one to ask that question. She, Megan, does a great job at describing it. Um, But, you know, for me, the book is really about a teenage girl in this really devastated town that's been hit by a drought. And it was once this agricultural paradise. And she's kind of in this tiny place with this pastor that's really lording over everyone. And has this plan to bring the rain um, and chaos ensues. And for me at the heart of the book, it's really about her journey and sort of having to go on and live through this after her mother leaves her and all of the complications that come with that. Um, So yeah, that's kind of it in a nutshell. There's other fun things, you know, magenta hearses and taxidermy and um, (laughs) canals and uh, witches and so it's um there's a lot going on but I think at the heart of it it's really about that mother loss for her mm-hmm. and I was you know since I discovered you I think uh Takira Madden is the one that first mentioned your book to me and uh, when I talked to her about a year ago and I started reading like your work online and it, it seems like you write a lot about like motherhood and womanhood um and like the relationship between mothers and daughters is that always something that's kind of been in your wheelhouse when thinking about writing? Yeah, definitely. I think it's definitely for me, you know, a part of my own life that I've wanted to explore. Um, And fiction was always my impulse and how to do that. And it always felt like the most creative and gratifying space to explore my own personal grief and loss. Um, And yeah, I do. I have written some essays about my mother and I've been leaning more toward wanting to do that in the last few years. But definitely when I first started writing, that did not sound appealing to me at all. I knew that I wanted to approach the feelings that I had and the confusion that I had um, through fiction, which is, you know, still my primary avenue to do that. And And it feels like a way that is energizing to me, whereas sometimes writing nonfiction about it can feel really depleting. 
not necessarily in a bad way, but it's a really different um, experience for me. So in writing this book, it, it was a lot of fun to write this book, actually. And it, I think it was my stab at exploring some of that complicated grief um, when you lose someone that's still alive, but just not accessible to you. So, yeah. Were early versions of Godshot, were, were they always about that, like the mother leaving? And was that the central premise from the beginning when you started writing the novel? Yeah, it was. The first draft I ever wrote came out really fast and it was actually from the perspective of the mother and immediately after finishing it I had a really intuitive knowing that it needed to be told from the daughter's perspective and I never really looked back from that once I started writing in Lacey May's voice that felt right to me um but yeah it was always about the fracture between the mother and the daughter of this story and I don't know, something about telling it from Lacey's point of view allowed me to get closer to that than I was able to from the mothers, even though that was an interesting experience as well. Yeah, what was it like um, writing from that perspective when, when it was kind of paired closely, I mean, not autobiographically, but closely with your own mm -hmm. experience? Yeah, I think perhaps the impulse initially was to understand how something like that could have happened maybe from the mother's perspective and I probably gained a lot of compassion toward the mother through that exercise um, and at the time it's interesting I wasn't a mother myself when I started writing this book and by the end of writing this book I had two children so that journey for me also informed the way I approached writing about motherhood and, and that shifted several times through the drafting of it. And so it's a really different book than it was at the start. And I hope for the better. I hope that those experiences deepened and complicated the ways that I was able to view motherhood and daughterhood and, and pull them out from some of the maybe more simple roles I had them in initially. Mm -hmm. What what ways did the book and your writing in general shift in, since you had the two, your two children? Well, just on a really practical level, my descriptions of birth and <laughs> pregnancy, I was like, oh, I didn't know anything that I was talking about before experiencing it myself. And so those scenes became quite different. Um, and not that you can't research and read and, and learn what that might be like. I just hadn't. So I was pulling from this total lack of education. You know, growing up, no one is teaching girls in schools what it is like to give birth or what pregnancy will feel like or how to prevent pregnancy. Those are just topics that were never talked about to me. So it wasn't until I was actually pregnant that I was like, I better figure out how this works because um, I'm going to have to do it soon. So through that self-education, I think the book changed and a lot of the, you know, images of women talking about birth and the books that Lacey May finds, that was really a lot of my own journey too, is finding books like that and reading about, you know, anatomy in a way that I hadn't before, which is really shocking to me now, but um, there was certainly none of that going on in my early life. And so I think 
for me, going through it myself, you know, propelled me to self-educate in that way and definitely changed the book a lot. I'm obviously not a mother, um, but I feel like I'm drawn to a lot of books, you know, that deal with mothers and relationships with children. Mm. It, you mentioned like it was you, you, you thought about writing about it a lot. Did you read a lot about motherhood or relationships with mothers growing up or what was your relationship with literature in that sense? Yeah, I think I always wanted to find a book that was speaking my language in that sense. Um, and when I found the book White Oleander, I don't know if you've read that. Um, I read it a, a long time ago. I, yeah, yeah, it came out a long time yeah. ago. Mm -hmm. But that was kind of the first book that I ever found that characterized this sort of emotional loss that I was experiencing and and processing in my life. Um and it did it so beautifully, and I just felt like that book kind of paved a way for me to be like, oh, this can be written about, and seeing my own, not my exact story, of course, but seeing so many of the close emotional parallels that I had with that book, um, yeah, it just opened something up in me, and it really it felt like such a relief to see it in this way. It felt like it was bringing some sense of meaning to the pain that I was feeling. And I think when I approach my own writing, it's that's always what is at the heart of it in a way is that I'm trying to find meaning or make something out of something that's really hard to define within me that feels painful or feels difficult. Um, I'm trying to transform it into something that can mean something sort of like, well, I guess I'm in all this pain and I want it to be worth it. So here's a book that I wrote, <laughs> you know, which sounds funny, but I don't know. I think that's behind it a little bit too in wanting to write about those relationships. Yeah. And then in this book, you mentioned it, obviously it took a while. It, it was written at different points in your own life. Um, once you, once you felt it was finished, what did, what's, what did it give you? What kind of emotional, like, was it gratifying? Did you feel different towards your mother in any way or mm. towards your children in any way? What, like, what, what did Godshot do for you? Hmm. That's such a good question. I think definitely being a mother has changed my feelings toward my mother. It's both deepened my love for her and understanding for her. And at the same time, it's deepened some of my confusion and anger. Actually, it's, it's brought up a whole myriad of feelings. Um, especially as I get toward the age that she was when she had me and, you know, those parallels are to bring different things up. I think, I think in, it's still almost kind of shocking to me that the book is something I can hold in my hand now. Um, it's, you know, when you work on something for so long, it's sort of abstract to imagine what it will be like when it is actually out and in the world. And so I'm just in the throes of experiencing, you know, readers reacting to it and what it might be like for a family member to read it. I don't really know the answers to that yet. That might inform some of the ways I feel about it finally being um, a tangible book. But for me, I really felt like it exercised something in me that I, it helped me let go of some things on a really personal level where I was like, okay, I've, 
I've really explored this for a long time and I'm ready to release some of this too. And so, yeah, I've, I don't know. I feel like a different person now than when I started the book. And I feel like the book is almost a record of some of that journey. Being able to actually hold Gonshot in your hands. Part of it is this gorgeous cover, which is kind of tough. Going, taking this conversation in a different direction, but where yes. did I, I love um, Nicole? Right, that's who designed it. Yes, Nicole Caputo yes. is so amazing. I follow her on all social media because I'm obsessed with her book designs. And, Me too. Uh, I guess just talking a little bit about what did you envision the cover to look like, mm-hmm. and was it always this glittery gold cover? Well, it's really funny. So. I mean, just to take you back a couple years, long before this cover, or I even sold the book at all, was, you know, I have always been, like, into gold. Who knows why? It just is what it is. <laughs> um, for Yeah, it's great. For my 30th birthday, I wore this, like, gold suit. I mean, it was a whole thing for me. <laughs> and I used to joke that, like, really all I wanted was just a solid gold cover, thinking um, that that would never really happen. I don't know. But I've definitely said that out loud many times. And then when, you know, we were in the process of, or Nicole was in the process of designing the cover, I sent her examples of covers I liked. None of them looked like this at all. Um, And I had kind of just forgotten about that, that I had said that a few years ago. And she just delivered this. bright gold cover and when I first saw it I felt like just kind of tears came to my eyes because it felt suddenly like the right cover it was always hard for me actually to picture what the cover of this book would be and once I saw it I felt like yeah that that's right um and I feel like it hits on a lot of different levels for me and how it works, but I loved it immediately and I never saw any other options. I, I was just like, great. They liked it and I liked it. And I'm kind of someone who doesn't want a ton of options. I, I like if there's just an answer and I knew if another option was introduced, it would send me into like a spiral of indecision. So (laughs) I was like, if everybody's happy, let's go with it. So I think it's really beautiful and I think it works on different levels for the book. So it's, yeah, I'm happy with it. Yeah, it's just one one of those things that just makes a good book that much better when it has a great cover. Yeah, I wasn't sure what people would really think about it exactly. I mean, some of my family was like, I mean, why is it gold? Like, what's the deal? And I was like, well, you have to read the book. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just like gold. You know? Yeah, I like gold. Um, yeah, when I kind of first I mean I knew what the book was about before I saw the cover I guess just because it was explained to me but I would not imagine like cults and right. <laughs> a, a California drought I, <laughs> I I honestly based on this cover would not be able to guess and, and that's a good thing because I don't some covers ex- explain way too much I feel mm-hmm. and it's and this is like this looks like a good book I'll read it yeah thank you <laughs> So there are cults and there's like a cult and it's dealing with, you know, like you said, there's a lot of, there's a drought and there's a lot, Mm -hmm. a lot of moving pieces outside of the mother daughter relationship. How did all of those kind of come into place around, you know, the mother and daughter? Well, I knew that faith was going to be something I would explore in the book. Um, That felt kind of intuitive. I don't exactly know 
where it came from. It just, I, my own experience growing up was that, um, after my mom left, I was kind of thrown immediately into a really religious life with my grandparents and church was a really big part of that life. And, and so it was like zero to 100 for me as a nine-year-old where I was like overnight, I was saved. I was a believer and I was trying to convert my parents and my schoolmates. And I had a notebook of people I was going to convert. And it was really intense for me. And I, I took to religion really fast because suddenly there was this answer in the world. There was this God that loved me. It was this father figure. There was all these things I was missing and here was this solution. And that's how my nine-year-old brain took to it. And so, you know, and then, and then it was, it's been a long complicated journey for me spiritually with with how I approach religion and, and things, but I wanted to characterize that intense belief and how attractive it can be and how far it can go. And in the book, it's sort of, you know, I pressed that about as far as I could take it. So that was interesting to me. And it was also interesting to me to have a character who was not going to just shut the door on faith completely. Um, but yet, continue opening doors. I wanted it to be a continual opening versus, um, you know, after one bad experience being like, there is no God, I'm not, you know, I'm not believing in anything. I wanted her to, to feel like, well, perhaps I just don't know. And, and that there's a realm of possibility outside of me that I, I don't know yet. So I was curious about that narrative. Yeah, I find faith and, and religion in general interesting and definitely interesting in literature. My, I went to that Catholic school growing up for until I moved out west, and mm. like that, I was like you know Sunday school altar boy until I moved to Phoenix, and it was like mm-hmm. out of my life instantly because there was mm. no, I, I don't know why you know there's no church within what my parents wanted, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So I always find that interesting. Like I had that upbringing, that very brief upbringing that was very, very religious. And mm. I always, whenever I read literature that deals with religion, it's, I feel so distant from it now because I'm 31 yeah. and haven't been into a church regularly since I was eight. So mm-hmm. it's all very different. And uh, I like when literature touches upon it because it helps me answer questions about my own life or, and that's what literature is supposed to do. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I think the idea of being saved, this idea that you can achieve this result through correct action can be really attractive to people. And also something that, I don't know, I can't speak broadly, but in my own experience, even after, you know, maybe departing from a traditional church structure is not something that leaves you that easily you can't you know that fear that has instilled in you it for me it's not just this easy closing of a door like oh well that now doesn't exist um and I've heard that from other people too where it's actually a complicated relationship you have with the remnant of this programming um not necessarily, I'm not making a statement about religion necessarily as programming, but there is a, there is an aspect of programming to it where you are deciding that this is what you believe and this is the 
um, path you're taking. So when you don't do that anymore, it's not so simple as just like, well, goodbye. It's, it's like, oh, well, yeah, I'm still scared sometimes that the rapture could come and, you know, dentures will be left on car seats. And, you know, that those fearful images, for me, at least don't just go away in a snap. So um, it's interesting, I just wanted to characterize the idea of not knowing and also finding some peace in that too. And how did you, you mention like your a lot of things shifted in your life as you got older, as it happens to all of us. How did religion and faith, you know, shift as you grew older? Mm-hmm. Well, I think for me, as I got older, I I really love the community that can surround a church, and and I think that can be really beautiful. I guess for me, as I got older, it felt hard to align my political beliefs with a lot that I was seeing in the church and, and then ultimately kind of impossible to do that. Um, not to say that every church has a standard set of political alignment, you know, not at all. But for me, the churches that I had found, um, didn't quite feel like the right fit. And so it really sent me on a different spiritual journey and, I think I do have a relationship with God and, and it feels like something that I'm continually um, and happily exploring outside of the confines of rules or regulations. And, and that actually has felt really freeing and really good to me. And it's just where I am now. You know, I can't speak for myself in a few years. Who knows? I think that part of this too was like, I, am someone who wants to feel like I am growing and evolving and I can see how cults could be alluring. I'm sure that I would have happily joined a cult in my early twenties if one had presented itself, (laughs) you know, because I've always wanted to find the answers to some of my struggles and who doesn't, but I think some people are a little more open and susceptible to ideas that aren't necessarily grounded in science or facts. And, you know, it's sometimes I think it's, uh, it feels good to believe in something for the sake of believing in something, even if it's, um, even if I can't totally define it, if it has a positive reaction in my life, if it brings more love and relief from pain, then I think that's, that's okay too. So I don't know, I might be going off into kind of a tangent with that one, but I think it's just, for me, it's not super definable. I'm always on a journey. I'm always asking questions and I'm open to different answers. No, I think that's, that's important. And, and that's, that's where I'm at. So I like hearing you talk is how I talk about a lot of things too, with, mm. with wanting to believe or wanting to have a structure of some sort, mm-hmm. but not wanting certain aspects of, religion or churches or what have you. Um, um, Right. So speaking of like wanting to know answers and figuring things out, I wanted to talk about, and I didn't know when to bring it up, but like promoting (laughs) a book in the time of the coronavirus. Oh, yes. Um, (laughs) Because I actually want to, I I thought I was going to start with it, but then I completely forgot. Um, Right now we're recording this on like day one of my work from home quarantine. Mm -hmm. My office has sent me home. 
um, what is going on in your life in the book world right now with the coronavirus? Yeah, it's it's really been a day-by-day thing where it's funny. I was just telling a friend where it's like two weeks ago, I was still sort of under this thought that, well, perhaps it will resolve and some of my tour will be able to still happen. And then it's like the next day you're like, oh, well, that was canceled. Okay, that was canceled. And then the next day there's another email, you know, so it's this steady um, awakening where suddenly in the past few days, I feel like I've been snapped awake to the severity of things. And I'm like, now I'm not leaving the house. Now I'm, and I just took my daughter to school on Friday. And at that time, the schools weren't planning on closing and within hours we get the announcement that they're closing. So it feels like things were just suddenly snowballing. Um, and my understanding of things are, are picking up the pace as we go. But, you know, I felt really, um, right now I feel hopeful that things will be rescheduled and I see this beautiful community of writers emerging that are really doing a lot to promote books online and, I'm seeing these virtual book parties and it's cool to see people responding this way Um, on a very micro level. Of course, it's heartbreaking to maybe not lose ultimately, but lose the experience you imagine it might be like to go out and promote a book and meet readers and have that experience that for me, I always had looked forward to. Um, And yeah, so that's been hard, but I really, as the days go on, I see that it's so important to self-isolate and, or social distancing. I, I feel like I want to be on the right side of this. And so I'm doing all I can to keep others safe and, and encouraging other people to do that too. But it's just really never a position that you would imagine is going to, that you're going to be in. You know, I keep saying like in all my anxiety spiraling about what it might be to go on a book tour, this was not something I ever dreamed up. So <laughs> it's, um, it's sort of disorienting really. It's really sad. Yeah. It's shocking just to see, I mean, on a micro level about the book world and book tours and Mm -hmm. and authors I have been, you know, excited to see on tour. Yeah. It's, it's sad in a, in a sense that you and others have worked decades or years or however Mm -hmm. long, and this was it, your crowning moment. And it's like, (laughs) if only we didn't think it was a hoax for two months. And then, and by we, I don't mean me, I mean very specific people. Yeah. And people are still thinking it's a hoax. I have a friend in California who's, you know, she's at work right now and she said her boss hasn't even acknowledged things that are going on and he's calling it hype. And that is really horrifying because you're like, oh, this is only going to work if we're all doing it. Yeah. So Ugh, scary. Yeah. It's it's so scary. it's so interesting. My mom is 61 and works in a grocery store back in Pennsylvania mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I'm just like texting her every day like hey like are you feeling okay uh, yeah you know it's and because there's people St. Patrick's Day is what oh my god people are going yeah. out to bars and and whatnot still so oh yeah yeah convincing my 95 year old grandmother to just stay inside is surprisingly challenging right now uh. she <laughs> 
she really feels like you know she feels bad for everyone else but she wants to keep on trekking <laughs> but looking forward you got shot is coming out but you also have a story collection sold to catapult as well right mm-hmm. i do and are most of those stories published already or are they stories that you kind of held back for the collection yeah a few of them are published um and then there's quite a few that aren't and a lot of the stories were really written when I was taking breaks from writing this book and the way that I see the two books together they're really attached and they're taking place in the same world so there's some reoccurring characters there's stories that um, might reference the book or mention it. I, I pictured the two books kind of holding hands together. For me, they're very connected. Sure. Yeah, a lot like how Garth Greenwell's books are. They're not necessarily mm-hmm. a sequel, but yeah, they're brothers in a sense. Yeah. That's, that's yeah, what... they're inhabiting the same places. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah. Was Godshot always meant to come out first, or was there a discussion about which would be released Gotcha was always meant to come out first. I'm pretty sure. I'm like thinking back to all of this. I always had this huge amount of stories going on. I love writing short stories. It's my first love in writing and I intend to always be writing short stories. And so having a collection was really important to me. And it was sort of around the time my agent felt that we were ready to submit my novel that I was like, well, I also have this collection that I feel really strongly about. Can we attach it in there? And, and I, you know, got it together and realized that it was more cohesive than I thought. And in terms of a collection. So yeah, it it was always novel first. And then stories seem to be sort of this, um, not a surprise, but sort of this thing that came along with the novel where I realized it was its own book too. Sure. And and because since you wrote, you know, them simultaneously, a lot of these stories, mm-hmm. what is what is your approach to when you're writing for a novel versus writing for these stories? I would say a lot of my short fiction is very voice driven. Um I think the novel is voice driven as well, but the short stories are maybe stylized differently. They are hitting a voice that might be more difficult to carry over 300 pages and maybe a voice I wouldn't even want to carry over 300 pages, but feels really satisfying to, you know, have a shorter scope with. Um, Usually, I don't know, I approach my work really voice first. I feel like I hear characters in my ear and I'm really transcribing them. So a lot of the stories are just, I don't know. Yeah. Just the voice that I'm hearing and wants to come out. And, and I don't, I don't know with Godshot, it always felt like it was going to be a bigger project just intuitively. And, and a lot of the stories that I write, I see the, I see their scope. Like I see where they're going to end. And, and I guess that's the difference. Um, recently I was writing a short story and, 
And I just sort of kept writing and I realized like, oh, this voice feels really good for like a longer form. And that was the only other time I felt that way uh, since writing this novel. So um, I try to listen to those little nudges that seem to come from nowhere. Mm -hmm. And because since both uh, Godshot and then it's, it's Cowboys and Angels, right? Yeah. And since both of these are done, what do you kind of view yourself or what what intrigues you moving forward to perhaps write about? What can we expect from you? Yeah, well, I I thought that I would be really invested in writing a memoir mm, after these right. books. I felt like I would be ready and maybe I will be. I don't know. I I have been working on it off and on, but I, I don't know. I'm just so drawn to fiction. I find myself really wanting to put that away and then write another story or write a new novel. And I'm just trying to listen to that. I think I, I think I will write a memoir eventually. And it just needs to be at the right time for me. And I don't want to feel like I'm forcing it. So I've tabled it a little bit after, I don't know, just not feeling that... Um, enthusiasm from myself that I've been wanting to feel with it and and I find myself wanting to gravitate toward this other voice um, possibly for a new novel I don't know we'll see but I'm sort of in this place where I'm really at the beginning of of different projects and trying to just gravitate toward the one that feels like it has the most energy behind it. And generally I like to have a couple of different projects going at once. So maybe a memoir will be written while another novel being written on the side. <laughs> that would be ideal. I don't know. Um, but now I think I'm more interested in just, I don't know, just really tapping into motherhood from a much different angle and, mm -hmm. Yeah, we'll see. Definitely. And like I mentioned earlier, I, I discovered your book from another writer. Are there any any books you've had a chance to read now that you're social distancing or, or that you've read before <laughs> um, that are coming out on the horizon that, that, that interest you and that, that you loved? Yes. Well, the first one I want to mention is um, Boys of Alabama by Genevieve Hudson. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've read her work. I ordered the story collection... Yeah. I, I have not read it yet, but I know Boys of Alabama is coming out. I'm very excited for it. I think you'll love it. It's a really magical queer exploration of love and teenagers fitting in and Southern culture. And Genevieve just has like such a peculiar way of looking at things that feels so surprising and so satisfying. And her language is really poetic. And I love how... I can just feel that experimentation in her work and it's, it's an exciting book um, that I want to mention. And yeah, her short story collection is amazing too. Um, I'm really looking for, I just started Mary South's You Will Never Be Forgotten collection of short stories. I just ordered it um, and read the first story, Keith Prime, which <laughs> she's so original. She's so funny. Um, and that story hit me really deeply emotionally too in this surprising way that because it was so funny, but I was also getting this sort of like, you know, stab to the heart at the same time, which is the best. And I have the third rainbow girl by Emily Copley Eisenberg or Emma Copley Eisenberg. So sorry. Um, 
I'm really excited for that. And yeah, there's just, there's so many good books coming out right now. It feels like 2020 feels like really intense with these exciting books. Hon- I don't know if you're feeling that too. Like, Honestly, does it feel just really saturated? It does. I have a working list of a Google Doc, 2020 debuts, and last year was the first year I did Beautiful, so I wasn't really like on top of things. Yeah. But this year, it's like March alone had like a working list of 17 debuts alone. Just, just debuts. I could see that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, yeah, it just feels like 2020, spring 2020 is just book a palooza everything is coming out i know and i know you had kimberly king parsons on yes. um i loved listening to that interview and i would just shout out her collection black light again i've reread it now a few times and mm-hmm. it feels like such a classic book to me that will live on for so long it just feels like the way i felt when i encountered like mary gates skill for the first time or i amy hempel you know that sort of writing that I'm just like, this book is really amazing and everyone should read it if you haven't yet. It came out last summer. Well, thank you so much, Chelsea. I just loved Godshot. I can't wait for people to read it. Thank you. Thank you, Adam. It was such a joy talking to you and I'm just really grateful for the time you spent with me today. It was such a pleasure to talk to Chelsea Beaker. That was recorded, I feel like, on one of the early days of the quarantine, the social distancing And that just feels like such a lifetime ago. But her book came out. The world moves on. You should definitely get Godshot. Please follow Chelsea on social media. She makes it really easy. She's at Chelsea Beaker on Instagram and Twitter. Her website is ChelseaBeaker.com. As always, Day Beautiful can be found on all social media at Day Beautiful or on the web at DayBeautiful.net. Please subscribe to the podcast. We're doing a lot more digital book tours. And... We are going to do a Zoom quarantine reading with four authors, Miranda Popke, Tola Rotimi Abraham, Sierra Crane Murdoch, and Sarah Sliger. That will be on April 16th. Go to debeautiful.net slash Zoom so you can RSVP for that. It's going to be a great panel with a lot of diverse genres and different topics we're going to talk about. Stay safe out there. Until next time.